why do we even need a vision? Is it necessary? Is it even biblical? I guess if everything were perfect, or if we were content with the status quo, then there would be no need to think about how we could improve on what the future holds. However, for churches to reach their God-given potential, it is vital they have a vision of where they are going and how God is leading them. To me, vision speaks of intentionality. The mission of the church is far too important to leave up to chance. One of the most helpful descriptions I've heard about vision is this. Vision is a picture of a preferred future. Vision is a picture of a preferred future that informs and shapes what is done today. We don't just do things today because of today. When you have a vision, you are intentional about whatever it is you are doing because you have a preferred future that you believe God has called you to. By definition, having a vision indicates that you recognize the present is incomplete. That there is a place that is more desirable than where you currently find yourself. Now, if you take this definition, vision is a picture of a preferred future, and you apply it to the Scriptures, you begin to see that there is very often a vision driving the people of God towards a better future. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve a picture of filling, subduing, and ruling the earth. That was their future. God gave Abram a picture of the future, becoming a father of a great nation, one which would grow, prosper, and be a blessing to others. God gave Moses a vision of leading God's people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt into the promised land and to the desert where they could worship their God. God gave Solomon a vision of building the temple. God gave Nehemiah a vision of rebuilding the Jerusalem wall. Many of the prophets offer compelling visions. Jeremiah spoke of the new covenant God would make. Ezekiel spoke of giving his people a new heart. Isaiah spoke a marvelous vision of the new Jerusalem that was to come. All of these are pictures of a preferred future. They recognize that the current situation is inadequate. It's incomplete. There's something wrong. There is something better, something preferred, but it's ahead. We haven't realized it yet. God gave Zechariah 
John the Baptist's father, the impossible vision that he would have a son. Jesus returned from the desert and opened up the scroll to Isaiah to read to the people his vision. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It was a preferred future for men and women being redeemed from their sins and being brought into right relationship with the Father God that took Jesus to the cross. God gave the Apostle Paul a magnificent vision of leading a movement where God would throw open the doors of the church to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. The final book of the Bible was given to the Apostle John in a reveler in a vision. And it is a vision of what the future will look like for unbelievers and for believers. The knowledge of a final day of reckoning and the return of Christ to make all things new propelled the apostles to share God's offer of a better future with as many people as they could, many if not all of them giving their lives to this mission and this message. There is no doubt about it. Vision is all the way through Scripture. There is always a need for forward movement with the people of God. Oftentimes, church vision statements can gravitate towards focusing on church growth. And whilst this is a very good thing to see happen, it's actually not our job to grow the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. Bill Hybels shares that vision is about getting from here to there. In light of there, here, whatever here might be, is unacceptable. We can't stay here because of there. <laughs> and the work of leadership is firstly defining what our here is and then offering a compelling vision a compelling picture of a preferred future of what there is. Now, it's more than just a compelling picture or vision. It also requires strategies and steps and goals to move us from here to there. And this is the work of leadership. We appreciate your prayers and your support as we move from here to there. Back in February 2014, we had a very special vision launch dinner. It was 1,092 days ago. 1st of February 2014. 
And at that dinner, I presented our church's mission, values, and vision scenarios. And this was a wonderful occasion attended by over 120 people. And there was a great deal of energy and enthusiasm for what God was doing among us. And at that event, we embraced a mission statement which clarifies who we are and what our primary objectives are as a church. A loving church, knowing and sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. Now, the purpose of a mission statement is to help our church, you, and the everyday outsider know why we exist. What is the purpose of this church? That is the purpose of this church, to be a loving church that knows and shares the life-changing message of Jesus. And these banners to your left and right, which I want to say a big thank you to Gray Donaldson for doing for us, simplify that mission statement into three very clear, concise, action-orientated statements that every time somebody walks in here, they know exactly what we're about. We are a church about loving Jesus. We are a church about knowing Jesus. And we are a church about sharing Jesus. We'll be referring to these statements all the time. Our mission says that our purpose for existence is to be a church that loves, knows, and shares Jesus. In addition to the mission, we endorsed a set of values. Our values govern the way our church seeks to live out its mission. Values answer the question of how. We have 10 values relating to God, people, the Holy Spirit, Bible, worship, discipleship, prayer, outreach, mission, and justice. The first four God, people, the Bible, the Holy Spirit. We don't need to add, we can't add anything to those four things. They are incredible values. The final six values, worship, discipleship, prayer, outreach, mission, and justice, in a way, are our response to God. And it is in these six areas in which we want to grow. We want to grow in our responsiveness to this incredible God who loves all people and created them in His image, who has given us His Word and His Holy Spirit. So rather than having a singular vision, we have six vision scenarios that describe our preferred picture for those six vision areas. Vision answers the question of where. So let me recap. I'll try and make this as simple as I can because it can get confusing. Mission answers the why question. It is a question of purpose. Values answer the how question. How do you intend to live this out? How are you going to be this? This is how we're going to be that. We have an answer to that question. And vision is the where. Where are you actually going? 
Like, if you live this out, what does it look like? What is that preferred future? Mission equals why. Values equal how. Vision equals where. Are you with me? Good. Generally speaking, the mission and values are unchanging. They remain untempered, untampered with. Vision, however, is something that with the passing of time grows and develops in a leader's heart, becoming clearer and more focused. Last year, I felt unsettled about our vision. Whilst the content was very good, my feeling, which I'm sure was shared by many, was that it was too wordy. It was impossible to identify what the single key thread was that brought all of those six areas together. Thus, the journey of prayer, study and consultation with Terry, with the elders and vision keepers began to take place resulting in what I'm sharing with you today. We still have six vision scenarios. However, they have been sharpened to try and get to the essence of what one, each one is about. And this will be helpful both for the vision keepers as they seek to lead, but it will also be helpful for us as a congregation as we seek to understand. And whilst this is good... Six statements, even when reduced, is still too much, and I wouldn't expect anyone to remember them all. Therefore, the key in all of this is having a singular theme that gets to the very core, the very heart of what we are all about. A statement that brings everything together and gives us a crystal clear picture of a preferred future. But before we talk about there, we need to first identify here. There is a problem. The church at large in Western society has a big problem. Now, I'm generalizing here, but there is great truth in this reality we face. Our consumer culture has produced consumer Christians who oftentimes simply come to church to receive their religious goods and services. And when this style of service or this kind of ministry program or those kind of people don't suit my particular needs, I'll simply go and shop around to the place and the people that do. Unfortunately, churches have bought into this mentality as well, seeking to offer the very best religious goods and services that they can. And can you see how this actually creates a cycle of consumer Christianity? The rise of the iChurch 
has meant that Sunday services are more about being served than they are about serving. You don't even need to leave your home to attend virtual church now. You can do church at home on your computer. We'll save you the inconvenience of even coming to church. This is a product and outcome of the consumer church. Church now has to be convenient for people. We want to do church at times that work around people's schedules and people's lives. People no longer prioritize church. As I said, these are general statements. But there is reality in this truth, is there not? Now, consumerism is all about size and accumulation, isn't it? It's about consuming more. It's about having more. It's about having bigger. It's about having better. It's about having the latest. Is it any wonder that the measure of the consumer church then becomes how many people attend our church? The bigger church is the more successful church. It's clearly bigger, it's clearly better than us. I'm not talking about any particular church here, I'm talking about a culture and a mentality that has swept all the way through Western society. We are not immune from this. Author and self-described discipleship evangelist Bill Hull says we are asking the wrong questions when it comes to measuring church success. He says, how many people are present is the wrong question. Rather, the question we ought to be asking is, what are these people like? What kind of families do they have? Are they honest in business? Are they trained to witness? Do they know the Bible? Are they penetrating their workplaces, their neighborhoods for Christ? Are they reaching friends and associates for Jesus? Are they making the difference for Christ in the world that he expects? We've become so concerned about measuring success by how many people come to our church that we've forgotten to measure what the lives of the people in that church are actually like. And so the crisis at the heart of the church is a crisis of product. What kind of person does the church now produce? The Christ-commanded product is nothing short of a person called a disciple. Christ commanded his church to make disciples. And Jesus in John 15 describes a disciple as one who abides in him, is obedient to his teachings, bears much fruit, and has the spirit of love and of joy and of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control dwelling within them, becoming more and more increasingly like Jesus. Craig Corkill, senior pastor of Narara Valley Baptist Church, was the guest speaker at our leaders' retreat last weekend. 
And Craig is currently undertaking a PhD in the field of discipleship. Craig is my mentor and we talk often about this very subject. I asked him to come and share with our leaders about some of the things that he's been reading and learning about. And he shared with us about some studies that have been conducted both in America but also here in Australia, which draw the very alarming conclusion that there is very little difference between people who call themselves followers of Jesus in contrast to those who don't. Highly respected American researcher George Barner reports every day the church is becoming more like the world it allegedly seeks to change. And the late Dallas Willard said, why don't Christians look more like Christ? Perhaps it's fair to say that many pastors and church leaders have focused heavily on growing the church rather than devoting their greatest energy into growing people. This was the case with Willow Creek Church in South Barrington, Illinois. In 2007, after three decades of being seeker-sensitive in their approach to church and ministry, which I will add absolutely has a place and a purpose in God's plan. But they conducted a detailed survey of their congregation to try and measure the spiritual pulse and health of their people. And the study identified that people were on a spiritual continuum. Four stages or segments of spiritual maturity were categorized all based on one thing. Where does this person stand or where does a person stand in relation to Jesus Christ? That's it. That's what we want to know. Where do you stand in relation to Jesus Christ? And understanding the spiritual continuum changed the conversation. From how many people are in our church to where are people in our church in relationship to Jesus Christ? Now, the four stages are exploring Christ, growing in Christ, close to Christ, and Christ-centered. And what they discovered was that many of their approaches to ministry were geared towards the early stages of the growth continuum. And that, in fact, there was very little difference between these first three stages of people. The greatest hurdle is shifting people, transitioning people from close to Christ to Christ-centered. Some of the distinctives of a person who is Christ-centered include placing Christ first in their life, understanding a sense of identity of self that is grounded in Christ. Confession of sin, seeking God in prayer, tithing, generally having somebody who they disciple and somebody who disciples them. They serve in their local church 
And the fourth category of people are the most likely group of people to evangelize, to share the gospel with their unsaved friends and colleagues. Now, you would expect this, wouldn't you? It sounds like a disciple of Jesus, does it not? And that description sounds a long way from the consumer mentality. It sounds like someone who is and would be markedly different from their non-believing counterparts. Brothers and sisters, for the church to flourish, what is needed is Christ-centered disciples. Willow Creek have very wisely subsequently geared much of their ministry to helping people transition into a place of deeper spiritual growth and maturity. Doesn't mean to say that in any way we neglect wanting to reach people wherever they are on their journey. But we're going to invest heavily into growing and maturing believers that they might start to become Christ-centered disciples who will transform the world. Now, whilst having a distant awareness of the Reveal study and its findings in 2008, it was only last weekend that the leadership team and I were introduced to more in-depth findings and outcomes at our retreat. And it served as a wonderful affirmation that we are moving in the right direction that we have indeed been listening to the voice of God. You see, our vision is not so much about the church, although the church will grow and benefit as a result. Our vision is a direct response to the mission Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. Jesus said he would build his church. The task and mission of God's people is to make disciples. Therefore, Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples. As I said, a vision is a picture of a preferred future. Our preferred future is that every believer who is currently part of ECBC, both now and who will be in the future, will become a Christ-centered disciple. Our six vision scenarios describe what a Christ-centered disciple looks like. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who worship God in spirit and in truth. Romans 12.1, we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In John 4, Jesus talks about worship that is, again, acceptable to God, being about worship that is given and offered up in spirit and in truth. Our vision is to grow disciples who engage in constant conversation with Father God, knowing that he answers prayer. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who know and share the gospel through both word and deed. 
In Romans 1.16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. And the Apostle Peter talks about always being ready to give an answer to the hope that is within you and to do that in a spirit of gentleness and respect. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who mature in faith and multiply. I love this passage in Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And a true and genuine disciple will make disciples. And our vision is to have people who are not only maturing and growing in their faith, but also helping others to grow in their knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who are committed to God's global task of sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. And so if God hasn't called you to go, and as Andrew Palmer often says, he's called you to sow. And so we invite you as an expression of mature discipleship to partner with our cross-cultural workers. And finally, our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who actively respond to God's heart for justice. Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, please plead the case of the widow. This, my friends, is our picture of a preferred future. I want to talk very briefly as I bring this to a close about the importance of our vision keepers. I've always been convinced that if we as a church are to realize these vision scenarios, of course we need the Spirit of God. But I also believe we need men and women who have a passion for each of these six areas and who can commit themselves to keeping the church focused about how we can grow in each of those areas. We have five vision keepers. There is one vacancy, and that is for global mission. We're trusting and praying that God will bring the right person who has a passion to fill that role. In today's vision booklet, you will see, a, a, I guess, a note from every vision keeper explaining to you what their role is and how they intend each of us to become Christ-centered disciples who are more honoring in their prayer life or more active in sharing their faith. And regularly this year, I'm going to be having conversations with our vision keepers during our church services so that you can hear about what ways there are to support you in growing and to help each of us grow into the people that God is calling us. Now, I'm not going to go into any more plans or strategies or structures. That's just going to unfold as the year continues. But be sure of this. If you are somebody who is part of this church, and for those who enter the doors of this church, 
our vision is to grow you into a Christ-centered disciple. A Christ-centered disciple who worships God in spirit and in truth every single day of your life. A Christ-centered disciple who prays fervently, constantly to Father God knowing that he answers prayer. A Christ-centered disciple who is committed to growing and maturing and putting deep roots down into Christ and multiplying. You don't hide your faith in a bushel. You share it. You can't help share it. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who know the gospel and share the gospel through word and deed. Our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who have the great commission in their hearts and recognize that God's called us to share with all people. And if we've been called local, then we're going to support global. Because our God has invited us to take the life-changing message of Jesus to every person in this planet. And our vision is to grow disciples who actively respond to God's heart for justice, who read the Scriptures and can't help but see that God has a massive, a huge heart for the poor, for the underprivileged And we as a church will be looking for ways that we can support and be part of work and ministry that says God loves you, God values you, and in his kingdom you matter. So I hope you're excited about growing in Christ because if you want a church where you can just come and sit and be comfortable and not be challenged and be content with the status quo, This is not going to be that church. This is going to be a church that is serious about growing Christ-centered disciples. Are you in? Are you in? Amen. We are now going to commit this all to God. It is so important that we take a moment now to come before our Heavenly Father and pray. This is not the scheme or the plans of man. This is the plan of God. That Jesus would build his church and we'd get on with the task of making obedient disciples who make obedient, fruitful disciples. Today we are committing ourselves to this 100% and we need God's help. So we're now going to have a special time of praying and committing this to God. And you're going to have an early lunch today, so just hang with us. Okay. I'm going to invite Vince. He's a wonderfully pastoral man, has been a pastor of this church. And he is going to come and pray for Pastor Terry and I as we seek to fulfill the role God has called us to as pastors. I'm going to then pray for our elders and our church staff and for Rob, our youth leader. And uh, then Susie is going to pray for our deacons and vision keepers. And then Pastor Terry is going to pray for our growth group leaders. And then Sarah is going to conclude our prayer by praying for each of you, for our congregation, for those who aren't with us today. We will each seek to grow as 
Christ-centered disciples. So I invite all those people who I've just mentioned to come forward now, and we're going to have a special time of prayer. For everyone else, I just invite you, please, to join us in a spirit of responsiveness to who God is and to what he's inviting us as a church into. If you want to be a part of this and show your support, I just invite you to bow your head and if you want to, to raise your hand as a shine of support. So please, everyone, come forward and let us have this special time of prayer. As we've heard, uh, I think we've all got a responsibility to keep praying and, and uh, praying for Joel and Terry on a daily basis, but uh, it's up to us to carry the vision as well. So I'm going to pray on a personal level for these two gentlemen. Gracious God, we thank you that your word tells us that we are all called to serve you and to serve one another. And yet, Lord, we recognise that Joel and Terry have been called to this special place to lead your people here at Arena Community Baptist Church. Yet we also recognise that they are not supermen, that they are human beings. So, Lord, in the, uh, in the face of doubt, I pray that you would give them a spirit of steadfastness, that they would be able to hold on to you and to your word as they continue to lead us. And in the face of tiredness, Lord, as the woes and joys of this world... Uh, assail them every day that you would give them a spirit of strength and resilience and above all Lord that you would protect their families and that in those times when things do seem to get on top of them that you would uh, just protect them Lord and that their shield of faith would just surround them with your love and your protection through your Holy Spirit we thank you for them we thank you for the commitment to us and we pray that we, we, we will continue to be committed to them and to you and to your vision. Amen. And Father God, I just come now and I pray for our elders. I pray for Jeff, for Bob, for Susie and for Trev. Lord, I thank you for these men and women who are mature believers, who love you, who are deeply committed to your church here at Erina. And Father, I pray for each one that you would give them great wisdom, that you would give them great compassion and mercy, and that you would give them insight. Give them energy, Lord, as they seek to support both Terry and I. Give them wisdom and strength as they seek to support and nurture the spiritual health of our congregation. We thank you, Lord, for their role. We honour them. and We lift them up to you. And we pray that your spirit would fulfill and provide them with every resource they need to be the people you're calling them to be. Father, we want to thank you for Lisa, our children's ministry worker. How wonderful it was this morning to hear her share and to hear the way that you have been faithful in answering her prayers. We thank you, Lord, that under her leadership, children are growing in their faith. Children are becoming more Christ-centered. We pray that you would surround her with the right team, and we thank you for those who she currently has, and we pray that you would bring more men and women into her team to lead and to guide and to minister to children. We ask that you fill Lisa with your Holy Spirit, 
Fill her heart with your vision for your church and your children here and give her every resource she needs to fulfill the task to which you've called her to. Lord, we thank you for Rob. We thank you for his heart and his passion for young people. We thank you for his commitment and his devotion. We pray that he'd be able to have more than a few weeks off when his baby is born because this church community will get behind him. They will support him. And we pray that you would bring new leaders. You will raise up young people with a passion for youth, old people with a passion for youth, to have a youth ministry, Lord, that is seeing young people grow and transformed and loved into the kingdom. We pray that you would give Rob and his team every resource they need to fulfill the ministry to which you've called them. Lord, we thank you for Sue. And we just pray a prayer of blessing upon her and Mark as they can't be with us this morning. We thank you for Sue. We thank you for her skill and her diligence in the administrative tasks that she fulfills to help the ministries in this church flourish and function so well. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen her, that you would fill her with a wonderful measure of your spirit that you would help her see the dots being connected between some of the mundane things she does and how they impact and affect kingdom work. Bless her, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father God, we bring before you the deacons and the vision keepers of this your church. We thank you for the work they do and the way in which they honour and serve you the deacons who spend time looking at the nitty-gritty, the workings of this church, that keep our property, our business affairs in order. We thank you for them and we know that they worship you in truth and in honour and serve you. For the vision keepers who have passion, who have a heart, but above all want to just come to just reach out to many aspects within that vision scenarios, to people and to our church, to love, to know and to share Jesus with people in our community, within our church and further afield. They all give their time, they're obedient to you and they serve you wholeheartedly and we thank you. And we praise you and give you all the glory for these people who have skills, who have talents. We know that it all comes from you and we thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Father, we pray for the growth group leaders that we have. Lord, we thank you for the dedication that they've shown, some of them over many years. I pray, Lord, that they'll be refreshed this year, that they will be surrounded by your protection and that they will uh, just be able to uh, know that this is a special time this year. I pray, Lord, they'll be inspired to take on the task uh, even more than they have before, knowing that you're with them, knowing that there's a plan in action, knowing that it's more than just simply meeting, but that they are contributing to the maturity and the strength and the healing uh, of those who are in their groups. 
I pray, Lord, that, uh, that each of them will understand that they are not alone, uh, that they are supported by our prayers on a regular basis, uh, that there is a wonderful uh, vision for us all and a mission that we are sharing. I pray, Lord, that they will be encouraged as we draw together uh, as leaders of groups, uh, that once again they will understand that they are not alone, um, that they're being walked alongside uh, through uh, all of the things that go through uh, a group's life, but also their personal lives. Lord, I pray that each of the leaders will, uh, will be protected not only uh, in their own lives, but their family lives as well. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, they will have the courage, but also the uh, conviction of raising up others to lead within groups as well. Uh, not only so that we are raising up the general larger capacity of the church, but also that within the groups uh, they may have as leaders others alongside them uh, who are able to sustain them during hard times, who are able to take over when something has happened, uh, who are able to uh, team up with them in the task that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, as I said, for their dedication. We bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for their empowerment in every area of ministry and life. Amen. And as I come now, Lord, and to pray for our church community. Church, can I encourage you, you might want to put a hand on the shoulder of someone beside you or encourage them, or you might want to raise your hands to your Father in commitment here. But Lord, I want to pray boldly today. Father, Joel is excited, and I believe that this excitement comes from you. So Father, I pray for our church. I pray for a new spirit of boldness and excitement to pour out upon us, Holy Spirit, that we can be excited that you are building this church, Father, and that all we have to do is focus on you, to become Christ-centered, to know, Father, that you are the only thing that matters and that without you, we have nothing. Father, help us to become a church that loves one another so passionately that every single person who walks through these doors knows that they are loved and they belong. Father, help us to become a church who knows the gospel inside and out, that knows your word so much so that it is what is renews our mind every single day. Father, help us to become a church who shares your love in our community and in our world. Help us, Lord, to become a church who is not afraid to say your name in a public place. That when someone asks us, why do you have joy in your heart? We will say, Lord, this is the time I'm going to share you. And we will listen to you, Lord. Father, we thank you that you are building a church filled with your love. And we pray for each of us today, wherever we're at in our lives, Lord, that we will know today that we are loved. I pray that you will give us opportunities, Lord, to love those in our church who are ill or in need. That we won't just say to someone, I'll be praying for you, Lord, but that you will burn in our hearts to stop whatever we are doing and pray. 
that we will surrender to you. Church, if you want to join me in this prayer, can I challenge you to repeat after me as we pray? Lord, I love you. You are my Father. This church is yours. I am yours. And I'm all in, Lord. Everything is yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you, everyone. God bless you. Wonderful. Our hope is not in our statements, our plans, our strategies, our sermons, our services, our songs. Our hope is in Christ alone. It is His name that we lift 